Hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Bootstrap Journeys. My guest today is someone who needs a special introduction. She's an out of towner who's made it to the top. She was airlifted to India in 1990 during the first Gulf War and then moved to United States in 1992. Through her struggles, she has found a firm footing and built a stature for herself. She earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT, a master's degree from Georgia Institute of Technology, and she started her MBA at UC Berkeley. She was a lead product manager with GE and went on to become a senior product manager with Hitachi. She was also a brand ambassador for Popinjay, whose mission was to empower communities through fair wages to artisans. As part of Tech Women, she has been a cultural mentor for women leaders in STEM from Middle East and Africa. She's a perfect example for women in tech. She's a mother of one and currently working as a senior product manager with Kaspri. Please welcome Harmeet Gilsetti. Thank you. Thank you, Armit, for joining us today. Thank you so much. I would like to start off with offering my heartiest congratulations on all your achievements, Armit. Considering where life began for you and where it is today, is this the journey that you had envisaged for yourself? So great question, Raksha. So thank you again for having me on your podcast. I am really honored to be your first guest, and so thank you so much. That's a really important question. In 1990, my parents and I were airlifted out of Kuwait to India. And you know, at the time, you know, when I was a kid, Kuwait was is an oil-rich country. You had everything I could have imagined. You know, I had a, in my opinion, as a child, I had a very, very happy childhood, in the sense that you know it was everything I could have imagined. I would dance to my Michael Jackson cassette tapes or play with my favorite toys. From that time, there are a few memories that are in the back of my mind that are always there every day, and those memories drive me every day and always. I think about them a lot, um, and they really also define my perspective. So some of these memories are: I knew something was wrong. You know, when the Iraqi we we lived in Kuwait City, which was the capital of Kuwait, so we were right in the middle of it. And so when the Iraqi army came in, um, they rolled in their tanks like through the city. What would happen is everything was shut down. So our bank accounts were shut down. My mom was pregnant. Like the hospitals, I believe, were shut down. Um, To get food, my dad would have to wait in line the whole day to get something, and he would only be able to get some fruit here and there for my mom and me especially to be able to eat that. I don't know what my dad ate、um, at the time, but you know, and and sometimes if when he left the house to go stand in line, we heard shots immediately afterwards when he left the apartment building. Things like that would happen, you know, day to day. Luckily,、um, the Iraqis really liked Indians, so we were. It wasn't as brutal for us as it was for the local Kuwaitis. But some of the key memories in my mind are seeing so, like being in a car, seeing soldiers with guns standing in the middle of the road. Another memory that I have, when I knew as a child, wait a minute, something is truly wrong, and that completely forever changed my world. And that made me immediately realize we need to do like I need to f- adjust. A memory of these two,、uh, I I don't know if they were Kuwaiti or or from where they were, but it was、um, two men in the traditional Arab、um, outfits. They were just taking our stuff, so they were just taking my toys, taking everything that I held dear. What was happening was that my parents had to sell off our things to be able to get money because the bank accounts were frozen. Yeah. That for me was forever changing. It was a very critical moment in my life. 
it helped me realize what is like very quickly learned to not be attached to things. That's the second memory that I have. A third memory that's very, again, always there every day in my mind is that I remember like at night holding, I think we had garbage bags of things. And I've confirmed this with my mom, like is my memory correct? So we had like garbage bags of our clothes, whatever we could take. Because what happened was, as you mentioned, with the airlift, the Indian government with Air India, the airline that was there, it was the largest airlift, I believe, in history still of, of, a, of a country taking care of its citizens and like lift, airlifting out, I think, 100,000 people. Initially, we were supposed to, because my mom was pregnant, we were supposed to be airlifted out by military helicopter, but something mess, got messed up with that. So what happened is, I think my my dad and my dad's cousin together through connections that they had, long story short, luckily there was somebody from Air India who was able to help us have exactly the number of tickets we needed. It was through the country of Jordan and then going into Baghdad and get going out through Baghdad to India. On that journey is when I was like, you know what? Okay, like, are we going to get through this? I made it into an endurance game. I know that. It was a distinct, like switching point for me where I was like all right let's take it let's break this down let's take it one day at a time tomorrow will be better tomorrow will be better and I just made it into a game of how long can I last today now I am extremely good at endurance at least I'm relatively speaking I think I you know with endurance I can keep going I can keep persisting I'm a team player and it kind of comes from I think that time but that was another distinct memory. And then another fourth one is being in the airplane. And I remember the air hostess giving me um, some chocolate. And that was like the first time in a long time that I had like some chocolate. And it's just, and then I remember reaching India. And my dad was having to go back and forth between Kuwait and India. So luckily after, you know, the Operation Desert Storm happened. So for two years, there was a lot of unknowns in Kuwait. When we had to leave, he had some colleagues that came back from a business trip and they had said, do not go through the desert. Like they had seen families that had died in the desert when trying to leave by car. Mm -hmm. Having been able to get out now again, just having to restart everything. That's what was going on when we were in India. And my dad was able to get um, sponsorship from a company here, an engineering firm here in um, uh, New Jersey, Maryland area. And uh, he was able to come here and we were he able to come because of that to the U.S. And of course, all of our things um, that we used to have in Kuwait was all gone. I had been able to take a few toys out with me. And then when we had moved from India to the U.S., we had to get rid of even more stuff. So it came with even less. So how was it to lose all your stuff at the age of five or seven? I mean, as a kid, I know the toys are very important. They are the world for you. It, it was, I mean, at the time, it was true. It was like earth shattering because as a child, right, your life, your immediate family is your whole world or your, you know, family is your whole world. Your home is your whole world. And what's going on there defines, you know, the stability, like how secure you feel. So it's not like sometimes, you know, you, you wonder, like, is it just my imagination or something? It's true. I had to grow up very quickly. And so when we moved here, like I was saying, we had to kind of restart everything. So you moved to the United States in 92. Yeah, in 1992, right. So what was it like to leave your home behind and start a new journey in a place where you were not familiar with? <laughs> yeah, that was that was also interesting. So in Kuwait, I went to, um, I think, Indian schools, Indian English medium schools, whatever it is, like very similar to the 
schools you would have in in in, in India. So, um, and one of the funny moments though I remember was like when I moved here was how I spelled some words. So like how I spelled, I remember there was a spelling test and I was like, oh yeah, you know, like I got them all right except for these two words. One was color and another one was something else like that. And I like in second grade, I'm going up to the teacher being like, why did I get these two words wrong? And I had spelled it the British way instead of the American way. And I remember I was also, they put me in, they want me to take the English as a second language ESOL class. And I was just so angry because I was like, I actually felt like I spoke English better than like some of the other kids in, in class. You know, having to do that just because I moved here from India, it was, it was a, just a, a little bit of a struggle for me personally because, and that leads to a whole other story of what it means to be um, someone that, you know, it doesn't look stereotypical American. Of course, those conversations are changing now, but also there was that part of the identity as well. The biggest part, though, was it's just because having to restart everything, it's it's just like imagine, you know, you're in your 20s, you're married and you're getting into your early 30s and you had saved up and you had done everything and then all of that is gone, but you already have kids now and you're having to restart. So there was a lot going on for, I think, each of the family members. And as a kid, I was trying to help with that. I wouldn't really ask for much at all, really. So I just became very focused on what can I do to make life easy for my parents? So I was like, let me focus on school. Let me focus on helping take care of my brother. And everything else was just kind of blocked out. In other words, as I continued to grow up, peer pressure didn't really work on me much. Um, so there was a lot of things that I as a kid would have loved to have done, but I just chose not to even bring that up with my parents. For example, like as an elementary school kid, I remember there was a flyer for like a dance class. And I, at the time, it was so early on to our move here, I decided not to even ask about it. But it's something I always remember. I remember like staring at this like poster about like taking a ballet class. And I love dance. That's one of the things I love. And I didn't even ask for it because, you know, I didn't want to have it be a bother for my parents. So basically me being driven, me having my priorities, like I, peer pressure didn't really work on me. I was not interested in, at the time, really dating much in school or anything. I, I wasn't interested in, uh, you could, yes, I was a goody two shoes, but it was for a reason. It was a very specific, very conscious decision to just, like I said, make it as easy as possible for my parents is the way I looked at it. So that drive, you know, did enable me to get into MIT. And I, I didn't think I would get into, you know, I was, I was just being really hard on myself. I didn't think I was going to get into any university. Um, and so I did get into MIT. And I think part of why I was driven to do that was to make my parents feel like everything's okay. For them to feel like it's okay, you don't have to worry about me anymore. Another learning lesson was seeing in my 20s, seeing my niece grow up around the age that I was at and then growing through those years that I was in Kuwait and afterwards and I had got, I would get flashbacks of things and I didn't realize what an impact it had made like I sometimes knew but I didn't realize it so it's it's been a great journey it's been something that now as a parent I'm able to think about every day it impacts how I am as a parent and it impacts how I am in my professional life in my personal life um, some of my key takeaways is just that everybody has a story and everybody does what they do for whatever reason and they only know it but that's the full story of where I am today and, and how that impacted me uh, great 
so at this point of time you have your professional life you have a beautiful family so what keeps you going every day what motivates you clarity that um peacefulness i just want like to be able to have a content life i'm driven to the point of how driven i want to be in other words I try my best to try to keep the perspective and I believe relationships are very important. The other thing is that I also feel that if I commit to somebody and as a friend, as a family member, whatever it is that I I want to give it my all. So that's what drives me. It was very interesting when I became a mom. It was a it was a very clear switch. Like my colleagues, I was at GE at the time. My colleagues at GE were joking around being like, "Oh my goodness, I like this pregnant Hermie." Like because I was very It was very even better at speaking up for myself. I was speaking up for my daughter. My daughter, for me personally, actually gave me even further purpose. Yes, I'm more tired as a parent now, but I'm I'm so much more productive now. I'm just so much more clear. Even just it just gives me, like I said, more purpose. So she drives me a lot. With these, any words to Gen Z people? All of us have dreams today, but most of us have lost in the path of chasing these dreams. So maybe some inspirational words. Empathy. is i believe i've seen recently you know you see studies some studies came up that what are some of the most important skills right now that are needed and actually empathy came up that seems to be there's a lot of discussion going on around that so yes we have more, even more resources now yes we have things like you know the internet we have social media we have other ways to be able to connect with different people in whatever way as long as you maybe i think as long as you're connecting it's fine but whatever you're doing If you can do it with a level of empathy, I think that would change quite a lot um for yourself and for whatever you're trying to do. Uh for me what I've learned so far maybe it's just because I'm in my role as a product in product management because it's you're trying to work with so many different types of teams and different functions. It's it's been a huge huge strength. And it's come up over and over again, not me just saying it, but the feedback I get. and in working with customers working with you know other team members working with friends so i'm saying this in the professional setting because the gen z generation right now is up and coming thinking about their careers probably um about to start university whatever it might be about to start college uh, or just about to join the the workforce that would be a great differentiator another thing is also have the ability to listen um that's something i would see a lot from more senior leaders coming up and from when I was also at that age is that being able to pause and right now we are so driven we're told to be like oh yeah no like always make a difference wherever you're going like speak up immediately and like show like what you can do and what you can know but actually and this is a skill I'm working on as well is being an active listener when you're at that younger age if you have the ability to actively listen and respect people that are more experienced than you, less experienced than you. This is at every age you can do this, but especially right now the Gen Z age, um it's perfect time to like really hone the skill is being able to actively listen to the other person's perspective or the point they're trying to make and be able to intelligently ask your questions. That's what I highly recommend and this is in every part in every relationship, whether you're dating or it's in your career or whatever it might be. So that's some of the, those two things and the last thing again I would I would in general say is also at this age it is a time of a lot of in, introspection a lot of trying to figure out my place in the world trying to figure out your identity and that's very hard it's a very hard journey and um and it's confusing 
But if you can just step back and, and take the time to think about what drives you, what is your happy state, right? Like, what is your happy state? I know my happy state is, like I, told, like I was saying earlier, like being able to have clarity of purpose and, and simplicity in a way. Then embrace that. Then that's who you are. And, and, and work on your strengths instead of trying to change your weakness. That's another huge lesson learned is who you are is who you are and that's where you were born and you're beautiful the way you were born and this is your opportunity at this age. You're becoming an adult. So you have an opportunity to actually define that for yourself. So it's a very exciting time. So those are the pieces of advice I would give um, because you can continue building on that. Thank you, Harmat. Another important question in a professional setting. A lot of young crowd is transitioning into product management from engineering. At the same time, they are also finding this transition a very difficult one. What do you suggest them to do to make this transition much easier? Yes, no, great, and that's a great question. I mean, I, I started off in engineering and then I switched over to product management. It's about your personal brand. So number one is being authentic to yourself. Over the years as an engineer, I had built up this reputation, you could say, of like maybe being reliable or, or doing a good job, whatever it might be. That allowed me... When I saw an opportunity to, in addition to my job as an engineer, when I approached my manager, is it okay that I work with another manager? And he was so supportive of it. And what happened is like that summer, luckily, there was a position open that matched very well with my experiences for another team in another business unit within GE for product management. And because I already had been doing it for a year and I'd built up this reputation, it helped me be able to make that transition to product management. If I had just gone straight from what I was doing before and said, oh, I want to go into product management, then that it might have been harder. Early career, like 23, 24, yes, maybe you can make a transition to associate product manager, but but still, if you can build up a greater credibility and, and experience with experimenting with something else in addition to what you're doing today, that really could help a lot. As a product manager, it is a, in a way, it is a leadership role that does take some level of experience or some level of maybe you could say maturity. And that doesn't mean you can't do it in your early 20s. It just means you have to be more dedicated to learn that. Well, on this note, I want to thank you, Harmat, for being on my show. Thank you. I wish you all the love and happiness you could imagine. Thank you so much. Before I sign off, I want to tell all my listeners, not finding a marked trail is not a disadvantage. It's an opportunity to make your own path. The way Harme took on the world and now making a name for herself should inspire us to take a page from a book and march on in our journeys. I will be back again with an another story in my next episode of Bootstrap Journeys. Till then, take care.